Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitali.com. This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, hello everyone. My name's Stevie Kim and this is the Italian wine room on the clubhouse. I hope we were supposed to have Rapuzzi brothers. I don't see them yet. Chai Wayne. Uh, yeah, Ivan is here with me, Stevie. So he'll oh, be coming okay, through okay. my... Oh, okay, that's that's fantastic. I was like, oh, this is the ambassador's corner. Fireside Worry chat not. with the Rapuzzi's without the Rapuzzi. <laughs> no, the we have one Rapuzzi. Unfortunately, Pierpaolo isn't feeling well this evening. Oh. So he had to bow out, but I am here with Ivan in the studio taverna. Ciao. Okay, ciao, Ivan. Ciao. Come stai? Bene, tu? Bene, bene, bene. All right, then we'll get, we'll get started. So the room... Is a little quiet at the moment, but we'll get started. This is the Ambassador's Corner. Ciao, Laika. Ciao, Stevie. So what is this? Uh, of course, Laika, as you guys know, she is the clubhouse manager for Italian Wine Club. And we, we're doing some, some rooms also with the wine business um, the next couple of months. So what is, what is the episode? Is it number 34? Yes, it's the 34th um, episode for Under wow. the Ambassador's Corner. It's Super. been really a lot. <laughs> oh my God, I see Emilia. Emilia, listen, your colleague just became Sunny. She became an Italian wine ambassador, as you know, your colleague from Colchabella. So congratulations to her. Good to see everybody. Stefan, ciao Stefan, Melissa, Andre, Annie. I see Kevin. I'm, I know I'll be seeing some of you soon. Charlisha, Paul, of course, Cynthia Chiro, Tushar. I don't know if you're coming to Italy this year. And of course, Eric, he's our, almost our neighbor. Okay, let's get this started. So, you know, this is the Ambassador's Corner. You know the deal. Uh, we made an exception. Usually it's the Italian wine ambassadors from uh, Via Community, of course. But we have extended an invitation as a special mod to be part of the mod squad um of course wayne young because he reached so out much. to me i know he also runs a room on clubhouse right is that correct yeah a room the the um la taverna freely wine room and podcast yeah so it's it's a it's a room specialized in freely wines yes 100 percent freely wines we might make an exception for something from slovenia Okay, alrighty. So for some of you who don't know who uh, Wayne is, Wayne, I've 
met him uh, since the get-go because he used to work with the group Bastianich. Yep. That's how I met him originally. Exactly. But he's actually, I didn't know this. I'm reading on your bio right now. Um, you're actually a diploma holder as well. When did you get your diploma? I think probably before Leica and Joy were born. Oh my God! Congratulations! I first, yeah, I think I got my diploma like in 1998 or 1999, something like that. Long, oh my long goodness! Time. I think it was one I, of the first six diploma holders in the United so States. So, who are the other diploma holders from Italy? I know, of course, Magnani. That I couldn't tell you. Yeah, he's he's he claims he's the first, and then we have I know well, I was Alessandra Fabi. Who who else? So I know three of you now. Who who else? Really, I um, as far as in Italy is concerned, that yeah. I don't know. I oh, don't okay, because right. I got so I, my diploma in the states in New York. Oh, way back that's in the true. Day. Right, right, yeah. right. So you went to the Italian Wine Center. I I was at the um, International Wine Center. Yeah, right, international. I keep on saying Italian. Yeah. yeah so we just executed our via program with Mary, of course. She's who, awesome. Yeah, she there are two Marys, right? Mary Ewing Mulligan, who of yeah. course founded the International Wine Center. Now there's Mary Gordon McAdams, who's also a master of wine, and now she's running the show more or less. So this is our second time running Via in New York City with the International Wine Center. It was oh, okay. actually great. We had a very it was um, it was great because we got a lot of students who we've never, never uh, met before. So it, it was absolutely fantastic. And now there are four new Italian wine ambassadors proclamated from that class. So tell us a little bit about, you know, when you got to Italy and what you've been doing since and what you're doing now, most importantly. Well, I, I arrived in Italy about 24 years ago now, and I was working for Joe Bastianich as a Psalm in New York City and decided that the Psalm life was not for me anymore and right. I needed to do something new and exciting. And Joe offered me the possibility of coming and doing the first harvest, working as a cellar rat for his winery here in Friuli. So I accepted and um, thought I would come for the harvest and then basically make my way back to New York City and find my way in the wine business there again. But um, fell in love with Friuli and a Friulian girl. Ended up staying for about a year and a half and doing two harvests. And then uh, then I married my girlfriend in 2002 and moved here permanently in the beginning of the year. So that's my story. So now I've been here. I worked as sort of the marketing and communications director for Bastianich um, up until last year. And now I am uh, freelance here doing consulting for different wineries here as far as their communications and social media is concerned. And my true love here is doing, uh, is doing the podcast La Taverna. Okay, well, very good. Well, congratulations with that. We are always happy to promote other podcasts. It's a lot of work, but it's a labor of love, as we say around here. So tell me why um, I did meet Ivan once, I believe in Los Angeles, once, just once. But of course, their wines are one of, you know, our favorites for the in the community. And we, I believe we have their wines also. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I see... Jacopo, but we have their wines also as part of the VIA program. Yeah. So why did you choose? Are you working with the Rapuzzi's? I am helping them out. Absolutely. I came to them um, just about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, mm -hmm. um, because even when I worked for Bastianich, and this is a true story, I, I've always said to the Rapuzzi, I was like, hey, listen, if you ever want to steal me, 
from Bastianich, you know, I'll come and work for you because I love you guys <laughs> and I love your wine. So you're the one, you're the one winery that I would, you know, go leave Bastianich to work for at that point. So when I was um, searching for some new things to do, the first people who I contacted were the Rapuzzi's and they were like, we were just thinking about you too. And so we started collaborating and, and it's been a really wonderful year so far and we continue to collaborate and, um, I have always been in love with their wines. It's been 20 years since the first time I've experienced a, a Scapatino di Cialla. And uh, I, I've always considered their wines iconic, which is one of the reasons why I chose them to, to taste tonight. And I think there are they are certainly one of the great undiscovered gems here in Friuli. Okay, so we're you know here at the Vinicola International Academy, we are a little bit obsessed about the learning objectives because not myself, but there are a bunch of geeks in the audience. So what what should we expect to learn from this call today? Well, I think what we should be looking for is is sort of the history of what happened with Schiopettino and Ronchi di Chala is uniquely able to sort of tell the story of how Schiopettino was basically saved from extinction and what makes this particular grape variety, especially in this particular place, so unique and so interesting. Okay, fantastic. I am going to mute my mic right now and then I will be coming back in the very end for some Q&A. Take it away, Wayne. Okay. Thank you, Stevie. It's really a pleasure to be here. So I want to give a chance to Ivan, who's here with me. Unfortunately, Pierpaolo couldn't make it. Take a moment, introduce yourself, second generation winemaker at uh, Ronca di Chala. So Ivan, tell us a little bit about you personally. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Ivan. Um, I'm uh, Ivan. Uh, Wayne told uh, correctly, I'm in the second generation of Ronca di Chala. My parents start in 70, so I really uh, born in, in the vines. Uh, and and uh, Challa is, uh, was my, my first experience in discovering the, the land, discovering the vines, discovering the forest, and I have uh, uh, many, many remembers about that beautiful place because it was really something to discover. Challa, who visited uh, this place, know that it is a small valley, but uh, with uh, very specific characteristics. And when I was a child, it was uh, everything uh, really fantastic, because uh, there are a lot of uh, forest, there are some small streams uh, with uh, truths, uh, with uh, shrimps. Uh, yeah, uh, little crayfish. Yeah, <laughs> so it was, was really uh, beautiful to, to, to grow there. And uh, in the years, uh, my, my father especially told me uh, a lot about uh, vines, uh, how to, to, to grow vines uh, and everything. So, yes. Did you, did you go to school for enology or for agronomy? Yes, I did school for uh, agronomy and uh, graduated in agronomy. And my passion uh, was from the beginning to uh, study insects. Yeah, you're an entomologist as exactly. well. Exactly. But that's because uh, the area where I was born, Challa, was really a natural area. So uh, it was possible to find a lot of interesting uh, things over there. And uh, I start my activity in wine and in, tomo in entomology as well. So you, you do both of those things? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So there, obviously this, this means that you have an a, a extremely high level of respect for 
the creatures that live in and around your vineyards? Yes, because uh, I think that everything is connected in nature. If uh, you you have the opportunity to work in uh, in uh, an environment well preserved, you have a better condition also to to grow vines. And uh, we understand that the biodiversity of our valley is is really huge because uh, we are between the Alps and the Mediterranean, the Adriatic Sea. sea. And uh, there is about uh, 30 kilometers from the Adriatic Sea coast and 30 kilometers from the uh, top of the Julian Alps. So in about 50 kilometers, you go from the the seaside to 3,000 meters. Wow. And in the valley, we have both uh, the influences. We have... uh, many plants uh, typical from the Mediterranean, but we have also an influence from the Alps. So it is really a a huge uh, biodiversity over there. In terms of insects that I'm studying, we found that in this small valley that is about four kilometers long, one kilometers large, we have a huge, a higher biodiversity than, for example, in the whole British island. No way. Really? In this little tiny place? Yes, because it is between the Mediterranean Alps, Dinaric Alps, uh, so it is really a very unique place. And so this is specific to the Valley of Chala, where you guys are the only producers who are making wine in that valley. Yes, fortunately, yes. So so we, we have in the valley, there is only... Four to five percent of the surface covered by uh, used by uh, agricultural vines, and ninety-five percent uh, still uh, covered by forest meadows, uh, okay. and everything is, is perfectly is really well preserved. And this uh, huge biodiversity in terms of insects we found also in in vines. In fact, our area is extremely rich in in different varieties. Vine variety. Exactly. Yeah. So let's take a, a step back and talk a little bit about how your parents got started in, in the wine business. So you said they started in 1970? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so how did they get into the wine business at all? Uh, for passion, it was a choice of life for them because they did a completely different uh, job. They work for Olivetti. Maybe somebody known. Olivetti was a, a very um, famous producer of tap machines. Yeah, business machines. Business machines. And exactly. uh, typewriters and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, my parents, uh, my father especially, was a little bit bored about uh, this way of life, uh, of budgets, uh, you know, and uh, everything was stressful. And uh, for freelance people, uh, we have our roots. Uh, deep into the soil as a vines, you know. And my, my parents love wine, love the, the wine culture of Friuli, and uh, has a, a, a lot of uh, knowledge about that. And they, when, when they um, arrive and visit Chala, they see that uh, there were the possibility to buy some land in that place. It was a beautiful house on the top of the hill, with some uh, old vines surrounding this house, and they uh, decided in that moment we wanted to change our our life, and we wanted to live here to uh, grow our childs over there, and, and they falling in love in some way in, with this place. Okay, and and so you said there were some vines, but they didn't buy, uh, you know, an already functioning winery and vineyards. 
Yeah. No, it was just some vines and, a, and an old house. Exactly, nothing wow. else. Wow, yeah. nothing else. And everything uh, uh, were abandoned from the second, the World War II. Ah, okay. Yeah. So 40 years, basically. Yeah, yeah 35. 30 something years. Yeah, before. Yeah, because uh, during the uh, World War I and World War II, our uh, area was a disaster because we were on the border within uh, former Yugoslavia with the uh, with the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire. So uh, for about 50 years, people just fight. Okay. And so uh, local people uh, generally move from that area because everything was abandoned, was uh, destroyed, and everybody tried to, to find a new way for their life. Okay. But that was so bad, but it was also some give some opportunity because this part of Italy remain really well preserved in okay. terms of uh, environment, in terms of uh, some way also culture and everything. Okay. So how did they get involved with the Schiappettino variety? What was it that sort of brought them to, to that place? Yeah, well, <laughs> it is a... Uh, the, the history of my family in, in some way. Yeah, it's really closely related. Yeah, it is related. Um, uh, my my parents, uh, when bought the property in Challa, asked to local people uh, what they uh, or they, the parents uh, grown in the past. And uh, they, they answered to, to my parents that they grow schiopettino. And, but this uh, variety, this vines, was completely disappeared. And uh, was disappeared for a specific reason because Schiopettino historically was uh, so local, was uh, really an endemic uh, variety of uh, Challa Valley and Albana Valley. This is mm, two sides of more or less the same hill. Okay. And uh, uh, in the past, uh, Schiopettino were cultivated in such a small area because uh, this area has some, some specific microclimatic condition and also some uh, specific uh, soil characteristics. And for this reason, for uh, several hundred years, Schiopettino were cultivated in such a, a small and limited area. So uh, that means a few square kilometers, basically. And that uh, uh, this was the lucky and the unlucky of Schiopettino in the same time. Okay. It was lucky because uh, Schiopettino uh, was recognized as a quality wine, rare, and was appreciated and uh, researched uh, all around Europe. But was only unlike because uh, when arrived the phylloxera, which is the pest, the small insect that's arriving from the new mm -hmm. world that destroyed the viticulture, Schiopettino was, was so local and was nearly completely destroyed. So by, it was almost extinct. Almost extinct, because people has not the time to preserve some specimens from, okay. the, from the, 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 the disease. And, uh, and this was in 1855. And in that time, people uh, look especially for uh, production in terms of quantity and not take care about quality very much. And uh, in that time, uh, was introduced the, the international varieties in Friuli. So arrived the Merlot, the Cabernet, the Reds, uh, the Chardonnay, the Sauvignon, the Whites, for example. And people, honestly speaking, in that time uh, were happy to shift from Schiopettino to Merlot, for example because Merlot were easier to, 
to grow okay. and gives a huge production in terms of quantity. Uh, is harvested one month before the schiappettino. That means a lot, especially in difficult vintage, mm, you know, because sure. you, you can lose a lot of the production. So people uh, start to grow uh, Merlot and abandon the schiappettino. Okay. And so they sort of heard about this grape variety and decided to sort of bring it back from the, the, from extinction more or less. Exactly. They, I, I don't know why they decided <laughs> to, 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 to try to, to start. Uh, were, there, were there bottles of Schiopettino around that they could try or? No, actually no. not. The, the, so it was completely blind. Yes. My father knows Schiopettino about uh, some old paper, old book. Uh, he, he has a, a huge uh, bibliography about agricultural wines from Friuli. And found a lot of information on Schiappettino. And when uh, they arrived in Inchalla, they understand that they were in the typical area for that uh, wine variety. So I want to ask you about um, some of the people or, or how they sort of brought it back from extinction. But before I ask you that, what is it about Chala and, and Albana mm-hmm. as an area that makes it perfect for Schiappettino? Yes. It is perfect because Schiopettino needs some specific uh, condition. Schiopettino is really difficult to grow because it needs uh, a a place with uh, a lot of freshness, but not uh, humidity. Okay, so cool, but not wet. Exactly. Because Schiopettino is suffering a lot when the sun is very strong during the summer and uh, gives some... uh, um, uh, burn in some way the the the, the, the clusters. Ah, I'd say they they're easily sunburned. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, so. Schiopettino prefer to grow close by the forest and close by small streams, but avoid huge humidity. Okay. So yeah. needs a place uh, with a little bit windy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about sort of the process that your parents went through to bring Schiopettino back and start planting and making Schiopettino as a wine again? Yes, it, it was a, a serious work. First, they start with the bibliography, bibliography. And because they wanted to be sure that what Schiopettino is, that's the first problem when you try to, to discover something, mm. what Schiopettino is. But fortunately, there were a lot of uh, bibliography about Schiopettino. There are also an iconography about Schiopettino. There were some uh, very precise and detailed description about Schiopettino. Where did they find that? Uh, in, in his library. His library, okay. Yeah, it was a, a, a job, a, a paper, a book uh, before Phylloxera, also ah. beginning of the uh, 19th century from Poggi. Okay. It was an iconography of uh, indigenous varieties from Friuli. And Schiopettino was deta- detailed described okay. on, on this book, also with pictures, but also with the description of the leaves, of the clusters and everything. So Schiopettino is really different from the other varieties. So it was quite easy to understand. This is Schiopettino, this is another Refosco, I don't know, or Pignolo or uh, Merlot and... Okay. And so were there Schiopettino vines there on the property or did they find them somewhere else? A part in the property. Okay. And part in the classic area. 
So in, in, Jala uh, and Reporto, in Reporto, Albana. Sì, in a few kilometers. So I, from what I remember, there was the, the mayor of Prepoto that sort of helped you out with some vines. Or... Yes, yes. He helped my, my father in, that, uh, in this work. And uh, he also knows Chiopettino and has uh, some uh, vines in, uh, around his house. So okay. th that helped a lot. But you couldn't just take Schiopettino and make new vines and start planting vineyards to Schiopettino. It was illegal from what I remember. Exactly. It was illegal because uh, for the law, it was not admitted to grow something that it is extinct. It's like I don't know to... To, to, to grow some brontosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or something. No breeding brontosaurus. No, no. It's like a fossil, you know? Right. Yeah. But they has the Schiopettino in their hand, and they did the first vine of Schiopettino, and that was uh, really, really great, but it was really difficult because when they... Uh, they had two, two ways to choose in, in, in that time. One was to keep a secret that discovery and produce a schioppettino and uh, produce a red wine, but without, a, just with a fantasy name. Okay. I don't know. The other way, and my parents choose this way, that uh, looks uh, more difficult, but more serious in some way, I think. Um, they decided to produce a schioppettino and name this wine under, after schioppettino. Okay. But uh, this, this uh, was illegal in that time. Mm. And uh, they were la uh, lucky because they meet the, uh, the Nonino family. Okay. Nonino family is the uh, famous grappa producer from Friuli. And in that time, they start with the Premio Nonino Resit d'Aur. In that time, this price uh, that now is international, you know, uh, it was really connected alla cultura contadina. Uh, to the to the farmers' culture, yeah, yeah, culture agricultural, and they were uh, Nonino family were looking for somebody that do something important, significant in this way, and they know that my parents uh, saved Schiopettino, mm. and they wanted to give this prize to, to my parents to save the Schiopettino, and they they were really uh, clever cleverness because. They uh, give the price, and in the commission that give the price to, to, to my parents, there were journalists, of course. So my parents get in contact with Luigi Veronelli, Mario Soldati, Gianni Brera, that in the 70s uh, were the most important people talking and writing about uh, wine and food in Italy. But also there were some uh, politicians. Ah, politicians, okay. Politicians in the commission, so from Rome, from the DOC commission and, and everything. So uh, the same people that uh, uh, told to, to my parents that it's illegal to grow Schiopettino. So uh, it was a corto circuito. Saying, uh, <laughs> Short circuit. Exactly. The same person cannot uh, uh, give a price and at the same time a fees to, to my parents to grow schiopettino. Uh, so the, your parents literally risked um, having vineyards torn up mm -hmm. and getting fines from this from these politicians yeah. who then gave them a prize for mm -hmm. saving schiopettino. 
So yeah. now they, they're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. So I gave them a prize, but now I can't make them tear the, tear the prize out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so right. very, very smart on the, on yeah. the part of the, the family, and, and the Nonino so family. Very fast, uh, Schiopettina was considered a, a legal again. Oh, okay. So it was, it was placed into yeah. the, the paradigm of, of acceptable grape varieties. And that Save Schiopettina was very important for uh, some other uh, local varieties. Because uh, in the same time, uh, uh, the, the commission decided to uh, render legali the, to, to legalize to legalize uh, together Schiopettino, Orso, Pignolo, Tazzelenghe. Ah, so there were three grape varieties yeah. that got added at the same time. But Pignolo and Tazzelenghe, thanks to Schiopettino. Okay, so yeah. they they we, we would say in English they rode in on the coattails. Of Schiopettino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank goodness. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and another variety was uh, uh, not admitted, but not for any uh, r- real reason, but just because uh, three yes, one no, you know. Okay. <laughs> this way of the, and it was the Fumat. Fumat. Okay. Fumat. This it, one I've never heard of. Yeah, it, but it is interesting. A variety was, it, it is a red variety as well. And uh, fumate in Friulano means nebbia. Ah, and okay. that uh, reminds you nebbiolo. Nebbiolo, exactly. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Schiopettino as far as a grape variety is concerned. I mean, we're drinking your 2016 Schiopettino mm-hmm. in this moment. But I mean, just for people who may have not tried Schiopettino, describe to me what Schiopettino is like as a wine. Uh, Schiopettino is uh, uh, really different and specific wine. It's a different and, uh, and strange wine. And also the wine is uh, something really different from uh, other wines. Um, but Schiopettino has uh, um, a, a fin- fin- fingerprinting about the spiciness. Uh-huh. And it is a little pepper. Uh, black, pepper, black pepper, black pepper, because the rotundone. Mm. Schiopettino is really rich in this molecule, rotundone, that gives this specific uh, taste. Uh, Schiopettino is really is huge, elegant wine. Yeah, it's very smooth, a little bit light. It's light, but with a huge uh, complexity, a huge richness. So yeah, there's there's fruit and there's spiciness. This black pepper. Yeah, and uh, together with uh, uh, red berries, mm-hmm. uh, ribes, and uh, strawberries. Right. One of the things that I love about Scipitino is the fact that, as elegant as it is, and it's it's not a very big tannic structured wine. Um, it still has this incredible potential to age, yeah, to last in the bottle for decades. Yes, how how is that possible? It is like a, a, a natural miracle, I think. Oh, okay, <laughs> but in Schiopettino, especially Schiopettino, produced in some small specific crews, give in the wines a huge aging potentially, probably because the acidity is is really balanced. The tannins, there are, but are very smooth, but has tannins. So Schiopettino is elegant, with, but with a lot of things inside. 
And uh, all these things uh, are really balanced one between the others and gives the Tuscipatino this uh, huge uh, aging potential. It reminds me of, of another grape variety that's considered very elegant and very finely structured and not so deeply colored. And it's probably one of the greatest red wines in the world, Pinot Noir. Yes. Skip. There's a lot in common with Pinot the, the, Noir as far as, as far as sort of structure and elegance is concerned. Yeah, and both are difficult to grow. Ah. Don't forget. <laughs> and both. Why is Scupatino difficult to grow? Because of the, the specific place, you're saying? The specific place in the uh, very uh, sensible to malattie. Very sensible, uh, sensitive. Sensitive to... To diseases. To disease, yeah. So do you have to do anything special in the vineyards to help Scupatino or how do you how do you take care of it in the vineyard? Yes, the first thing is to look and to 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 found the uh, balance and equilibrium. Okay. So it's necessary to uh, to 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 grow in the in the good place and don't give uh, consumazioni. Um, fertilizers. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, some organic, uh, but uh, not every year, because Cupertino uh, try to be a little bit exuberant. Mm. You know? So it's very important to have a, 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 a good balancement in the vine. Exuberant uh, meaning it produces a lot of grapes. Grapes and especially leaves. <laughs> ah, okay. Lots of vegetation. A lot of vegetation that uh, create uh, some not good condition for the plant because okay. uh, there are too much humidity. So uh, it's very important to have a not uh, uh, very fertile uh, soil. Okay. And you said it was also pretty late ripening as well? But, yes, pretty late. When do you normally pick Schiopatino, for example? Middle October. Middle October. Uh, in the warm vintage, beginning of October, in, in the cold ones in November. Last year was a pretty late vintage. I think you yeah. you harvested Scupatino when? The end of October, I think. 20, 20, 20 to 26. Uh, if Last I year. Yeah. Wow. So very late. Much like, I mean, I know people here in Friuli who are, who are harvesting Merlot on the 1st of September. Yeah. It's in, incredible. So yes. much later, almost two months. Okay. Scupatino is a, 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 a late ripeness and the challa is a cold place. Okay. So this, uh, this pudette, um, okay. <laughs> great so some. late variety and a cool place. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, this gave, uh, to the wine, some, uh, really specific characteristic and a big, big character. Oh, okay. And how about, um, when you're, when you're making Scupatino, are you doing anything specific as far as, you know, vinification is concerned? How is, how is your Scupatino di Cialla made? But the, the most important thing is, is to, to have beautiful grapes. Okay. But as every wine, I think, uh, and uh, of course, is a hand harvesting under selection, a strict selection of uh, the grapes. And uh, we do a quite a long skin contact. That means four to five weeks. Four to five weeks on the skins? Yeah. Wow. But the uh, maturation is very long, but at a low at a natural low temperature. Okay. Because harvesting end of October, that means to harvest grapes that has about 10 degrees in terms of temperature. Oh, so the grapes come in yeah. at 10 degrees. Yes, so, so the most start cold. 
not uh, to record. Do you heat anything up? No. 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 Wow, that's a challenge. Wild eels, of course. So no inoculation? No, no, no. And the, so the fermentation is very uh, slow. Okay. Yeah, and the, the maximum temperature has around 20, 24 degrees, no more. So it's, it's pretty long, uh, but the extraction is, uh, is perfect. It's not too strong. Okay, so very gentle extraction. How long can this fermentation go on for? general uh, uh, stop when we uh, we separate the skin really yeah so it's okay yeah and uh obviously separate from the skin press very very uh, after four to five weeks uh, nearly no no press no almost no pressing no, almost no pressing because the skins are completely exhausted okay so yeah. you don't need to no extract anymore no 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 no, no. no. And, and then into in wood? In wood, yeah, in, in barrique, um, just a small part, about 10% new, 90% usual till okay. five to six times, because cupetina is so elegant, delicate, we don't need to, to, to give some other flavors. Uh, in fact, it's even hard to imagine the, the scopatino we're tasting now. It, it was, has been made in wood. There's no sensation of wood yeah, at all. It's very important because scopatino is so elegant, so complex, so rich. By nature, we don't need to add nothing. Speaking of, of wood, you as, as a winery were one of the first uh, wineries in Friuli to use barriques on their wines. Is that not true? It's true, um, but not uh, only Friuli in, in Italy. In Italy, wow! In Italy. Because uh, when my my father has the, the first uh, Schiopettino harvest, they uh, wanted to know how I, I have to do with <laughs> with this grape now, and uh, asked to uh, his friend Luigi Veronelli, that is was an important journalist, but has also a lot of connection. And uh, Veronelli uh, put in contact uh, my father with uh, Giacomo Takis. Giacomo Takis yeah. is a giant of the wine world. Yes, he he he, he was, and uh, uh, my father uh, bring the the most and uh, uh, meet uh, uh, Giacomo Takis, and uh, after one day, uh, probably Takis made uh, some analysis, uh, some uh, proving laboratory. Uh, told to, to answer to my father, if uh, I have a, a grape like that, me divertirei. Ah, he would have fun. Yeah. He would really have fun with <laughs> yeah. a grape like this. And okay. suggest to my father to, to use a barrique as wow. eggs in, in Burgundy. More or less the same process. Yes, it's it's important to keep in mind that your your father was not a winemaker. Your father was not a... Uh, an enologist. No, I was just an enthusiast in yeah. wine. <laughs> but then, lots of lots yeah. of tasting and lots of curiosity mm -hmm. as well. It's amazing that that. Uh, and so uh, uh, Giacomo Takis gave the give the connection to some tonnellerie. Oh, uh, okay. To my father, some barrel makers. Yeah. Okay. And uh, my father bought the barriques, but he didn't image that he he he. 
was the second uh, one year in Italy using Barrique after Antinori. Ah, okay. And the first for white wine, but it's a different uh, That's a different story. story yeah. yeah. So they were, you know, along with, with Antinori, who Giacomo Takis also was a consultant for. In fact, yeah. that, that's because of oh, Okay, so that's the connection. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, are you guys um, organic winemaking or what's sort of your practice in the vineyards? Yes, it's uh, organic, but uh, um, a little bit uh, different because organic more or less is uh, just a protocol and a list of uh, product that you can use and a list that the product you cannot use in the wine. Mm. Uh, and for us, uh, this is a good way, but it's not sufficient. Okay. okay. Uh, so you want to go beyond. Yeah. Uh, and because we manage our vines uh, from the beginning in a really natural way. And uh, so we decided to don't uh, have any certification, organic certification. But uh, five or six years ago, we get in touch uh, with a different organization and uh, uh, all our wines and our winery is certificated as a biodiversity friend. Okay. This is a, a different project, stronger, uh, okay. I think more serious than just the organic, because organic is in fact just a list of products, but organic admit a lot of copper, for example. Okay. Ramen, too much. Too much copper. Yeah, and copper is uh, a poison for the soil, for animals inhabiting the soil. But uh, with this certification uh, that we have, a biodiversity friend, uh, is, uh, a, a, a has a different goal. Uh, the goal is uh, to preserve and improve the biodiversity in the vines and the area surrounding the vines. So not just the vineyards, but the areas around the vineyards. Exactly. Okay. They uh, ask to have a minimum 30% of the property uh, of forest, for example. Okay. Because you have to guarantee to reuse the CO2 that you are producing during the process. Okay. Okay, we have 90% in the valley. We are lucky in the, the terms. They ask that uh, all the vines uh, as a grass in tutto in erbito. Okay. But so no, no herbicides. So no. grass growing amongst the vines. Yes, and only native is not admitted to use uh, seeds from selection from industry, ah, but okay. is required to have the wild grass in the vine. Okay. And, but this is very important for insects because all this, uh, we have a huge biodiversity also of plants. So in the vines, we have a lot of insects because uh, there are many insects that... Uh, uh, and it feeds some specific species of grass, for example. Okay. So huge is uh, your biodiversity of grass is in the vine. Uh, you have a higher score because you preserve more insects. Okay. So we decide, for example, to cut the grass only in specific period, specific time during the year because we want that uh, some insects that uh, are larvae, you know, okay. and then become adults. If you cut the grass when these insects are larvae, you kill all the insects. So ah. we wait that the insects are adults. So when we cut the grass, they are able to move 
in another place. Your your entomology passion is coming through here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your yes. love of insects, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this certification, I think, is more complete, uh, is more actual than organic. You, you were telling me that they like do an actual census of the different species living in and around the vineyards. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Um, what have been some of your over the years? Cause you, so when did you and your brother sort of come in and start working with your parents? We, from the beginning, basically, yes, uh, but it, obviously you graduated from school and yes, but it was all together. It was all together. Yeah. So it was just, it's not, it just flowed. Into yes. It's a, it's a work. I think is the best thing is to start step by step, little you, by little. Do you and your brother sort of divide the work or do you both do a little bit of everything? To, um, yes or not. Okay. Um, today I'm a little bit more involved in the vines and I follow more the international markets. Okay. But, uh, you know, me and my brother, uh, we can interchange uh, each other That's anytime. Yeah. yeah. So what have been some of your challenges as as a, a a farm as a winemaking azienda over the years what have been some of the things that have been difficult for you guys sorry what have been some of the the challenges this fide the the difficulta that you've had you know over the years with the winery sort of but of course every, every year that is a specific and different history challenge so yeah, yeah every year has some specific problems that we have to to solve and you know when you are on the market not everything depends of us but we are in the ends of also the mm. situation you know yeah yeah so every year is is a different way, and every year we have to to do some uh, specific choice in the vines in the cellar. So okay, we we never be bored by the right. by what work. Yeah. Has the the market been something that's always been friendly towards your wines, or um, because I, my my sense tasting this wine now that maybe in the late 80s and early 90s when these big rich parker style wines maybe were more fashionable um was there ever any pressure to sort of change the style of, of scopettino to to satisfy that market yes but we did not why, why yeah. not no because uh, our idea of, of wine is to produce a wine that it is a a, a true uh part of the of our terroir okay it's not just an expression, but it is a part of the terroir. And so uh, we, we cannot produce a wine different from uh, from the wine that we, we produce. Of course, one year should be bad, bad, best, another year less, but it is the expression and it is the, the, the soul of our terroir. So you've never felt the pressure to change? No. And in fact, our uh, library uh, wines are, I think, are very interesting because are produced from the same vines. In fact, we never grow very much in terms of a surface. Ah, okay. More or less, we have the same uh, size from 20, 25 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. But we decided... Uh, we don't want to to grow 
because uh, uh, in our valley, uh, we have a perfect ratio, ratio between the uh, agricultural lands, the vines, and the natural land. Oh, okay. And uh, we are not, we don't want to be stressed about uh, production numbers and everything. We prefer to produce the wine that's really sustainable in our valley and work uh, just on the quality. Okay. And the reputation of the, of course, of the brand. Uh, we have different uh, challenges to exactly to follow. And you, you also make two different styles of cappuccino. Yes, uh, this is a necessity. Okay. Uh, because the Cialla Schiopettino, Cialla is not only uh, the name of the, the, the area, but it is only an official uh, appellation. Ah, okay. It's, yeah. a, it's a subzone. Yeah, it's a subzone. It's a crew. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we have a specific rules to produce the wine and everything. Uh, so to produce the Schiopettino di Cialla, that uh, could age for many, many, many years, we have to choose the best grapes with specific characteristics. Okay. And all the other grapes that are beautiful grapes, of course, we, we use these grapes to produce a, a cadet schiopettino okay. that we name Ribolla Nera, Laurinera. Ah, okay. So it has the two names, Schiopettino Rinera, and it is the uh, Schiopettino produced by the grapes that not have the characteristic to produce a Schiopettino that will age for 30 years, for example. So it's a, a, a sort of a lighter style. Yeah, exactly. Is it uh, stainless steel? Stainless steel, okay. Yes, fresh, but really varietal, but you feel Challa 100%. I oh, think. okay. <laughs> That's so it. just to give us an idea, so the, the current vintage of the Schiopettino di Challa is 2016. Exactly. So, so uh, the Schiopettino Rinera is 19. 2019. So a little bit less time. Yeah. Okay. Um, Taste-wise, what, what do you think would be the, the difference between those two? So obviously, the, the Rinera, the Ribola Nera is fresher, yeah. lighter. Fruity. Fruity. Okay. You, you have the spice, but it's more fruity. Uh, Schiopettino di Cialla has a, a lot of, uh, is earthy. Earthier. Yeah. Okay. Uh, molto più profondo is deeper. Okay. Uh, it's more complex. Uh, it's, uh, you, you have a real the, the soul of challenge. One of the things that you mentioned very briefly that I wanted to, to definitely bring out was um, you guys have back vintages that you keep. You keep aside a, a pretty significant portion of your production every year. Yes. And yes. you don't sell it. No, exactly. Uh, generally, it is 20 to to 30% of, of the production. You hold back 20 yeah. to 30%. Yes. That's exactly. quite an investment. It is. Yeah. But today we have a, a, a huge library stock of all the vintage from the 70s till today. So you could walk into Ronchi di Cialla yeah. and buy a bottle from the 1970s. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. It then. is a... Unique in Friuli, for sure. I don't, but yeah, I don't know of any other wineries yeah. that do that. Friuli. And a few in Italy, probably. Yeah. So going back, so it, I think it's a, and and I've, I've had the opportunity of actually tasting with you um, some of the older bottles, and it's amazing how far back you can go with this 
finely structured wine and how it's it's still amazing and beautiful and complex. Right, it's, it's very interesting. I think it's very nice, interesting because it's like a book open of the different vintage. You yeah. can really feel and understand how was the harvest, how was the season. Uh, and you keep some really good notes on the, the 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 vintage i mean i mean if i ask you what was 1992 like you can basically tell me almost yeah yeah we, we, we really take some records. notes uh, yeah, yeah. In, uh, every year uh, yeah. about the harvest about the season uh, about the also the difficulties <laughs> difficulties uh, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's how you learn obviously yeah. yeah what about the future any plans for the future any new things coming up for ronki di chala Yes, uh, we, we have, uh, it is a new, but this is something we come back to the origins. Okay. And in September, we uh, uh, realize the Cialla Rosso. Ah, okay. The Cialla Rosso. You already make Cialla Bianco. Exactly. Okay. And it is Cialla Bianco is a blend of white varieties from Cialla, so Ribolla, Piccolit, Verduzzo, and Cialla Rosso from Red Berth. So it is Schiopettino Refosco. Ah, Schiopettino and Rifosco. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, all right. And uh, what about some other wines that you make? So, Cialla Bianco is, you said, Ribola. Piccolite Verduzzo. And why this strange blend? It's a, I don't, I've never seen that before. Yeah, it's strange, it is strange today, not in the past. Okay. In fact, uh, Cialla, in, during the Middle Age, uh, was a, a property of the church. Okay. And in the church in Cividale, in the archive, it's called the Archivion. Archives, yeah. Archive. We found a lot of uh, pa- old papers, documents from the Middle Age, and was noted a lot of information, even stupid facts. But today, very important. Mm-hmm. This year was so, that the year was uh, uh, more rich, I don't know. But many times we found that uh, people grow ribolla, piccolita, and verduzzo, but we found information about a white wine not a single varieties so was not is logical to to suppose but it's very um, ragionevole okay it's reasonable reasonable to 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 uh, to understand that people in that time um, uh, vinificated together these three varieties okay and we want to produce and to try to produce this wine with this older recipe you know and when we started the first time, we were really surprised because the three varieties uh, don't stay well together. They are synergic together. Okay. Because the ribolla gives the minerality, gives the acidity that is very important for a white dry wine. You know? But uh, the piccolite gives what is ribolla uh, miss. Okay. So give uh, more complexity, richness, uh, structure. And Verduzzo gives a little bit of tannins. That is very nice, especially in the in the end okay. and for aging. Okay. Fantastic. So uh, I don't know, Stevie, did you want to, or Laika, did anybody have any questions for Yvonne? I know we're getting really close to the end of the hour, but I wanted to give, you know, other people an opportunity, Stevie or somebody to come on and, and, and ask. Um, you know, I just realized there's actually a um, chat, room chat. This is a new feature. I've been completely blind to this. There's a little bit of conversation that's going on. And of course, uh, we have some great fans. 
um, you know, like Melissa, I think you know her, Melissa Sutherland. I mean, yeah, sure. Marnik, she's saying, I'm reserving a bottle of Schiopettino 1977. So uh, we definitely yeah. have some real fans. And she says she never gets tired of the story. So thank you very much. I think we don't really have time to take any more questions. I'm going to just... That's what I can give you for now because <laughs> I just thank want you, to Steve. thank you so much, Ivan and Wayne. I do have a small ask. First of all, you guys all know that there is a replay of this on Italian Wine Podcast. We've been getting tons of listens, especially the rooms, um, sometimes even 5,000 listens. Wow. It has a very long life cycle, and we really want to thank you for that. We did, however, have a small snafu a couple of weeks ago, and I know Joy, our producer, she's really, really heartbroken because we were delisted on Spotify and we lost like 1,500 followers um, that we've created the past year. So if you can just go back on Spotify, we are back. Please subscribe and follow us. I did also want to say we have a new channel. It's a video channel. It's called Mama Jumbo Shrimp. And we will be doing a marathon of about 14 episodes just before we get to the Vinitaly Marathon, because then we'll be in apnea just for Vinitaly. So um, next week, I don't know, Laika, if this is true, if you can confirm, next week we have three calls, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yes, so Tuesday, exactly. Is that correct? So That's Tuesday, correct. we have Kevin DeLucente, who's in the audience, will be interviewing Giacomo Colombera, and then we have on Wednesday, which is the Maze Rose series, Sarah Bray will interview Barbara Widmer of Brancaya. I, I saw Marilisa in the audience. Her episode, we, she recorded yesterday on Clubhouse. That episode will be going live tomorrow on Italian Wine Podcast. She did an excellent deep dive into Allegrini. That should be interesting and a bit academic as well for the wine geeks if you like to check that out tomorrow. That will be published tomorrow. And then we will have we will have on Thursday Tomasella Perniciaro. She lives in Norway, I believe, and she will be interviewing Mariolina Bacellieri from Bacellieri. And then the week after that, we will have Amelia at last, and she will be interviewing Ivan Giuliani of Terenzuola. Of course, once Vinitaly stops, we will have a couple of weeks of, you know, hiatus because we will be so busy doing all of that stuff. So please, you know, subscribe, follow us, and Italian Wine Podcast, wherever you get your pods. But give an extra love for Spotify because we had to kind of reset and start over. So, you know, um, you know, we would really appreciate that. That is a wrap and see you guys next week on Clubhouse, Italian Wine Podcast. And any of you who are coming to Vinitaly, ping us and so we can get together for a drink or or a chat. Ciao ragazzi. Grazie. Thank you, Stevie. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vignitaly International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vignitaly and tickets, visit vignitaly.com. And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com.
guys. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.